Before we gather in this room again for a Sunday worship, Lent will begin. Ash Wednesday, this Wednesday, is a solemn reminder of our human mortality and the need for reconciliation with God, and it marks the beginning of the repentant season of Lent. It is commonly observed with the ashes maybe on the forehead of the hand, fasting and almsgiving. And I will be presenting a brief online message on Wednesday evening to share a little more of the purpose of this holy day. Next Sunday's message will focus on the season of Lent as a whole with its origins and the start of Jesus' ministry. I'm going to begin this morning's message by, by reading the balance of this week's scripture to remember that Terry shared earlier in the service. And if you'd like to read along, you can open your Bible to Ecclesiastes 3. And here's a little trick you can remember. If you split the Bible in half, you get the Psalms are pretty darn close to it. Ecclesiastes is just two books towards the back of the First Testament, right after Proverbs. If you hit Revelations, back up, you went way too far. But uh, you'll find it there. And, and you're going to recognize this immediately. Ecclesiastes 3. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. And we sing this hymn regularly, right? Um, in his time, in his time, God makes all things beautiful in his time. That's where we get this. But continuing at verse 11, says, He has also set eternity into the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they are alive that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction with all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken away from it. God does it so that people will fear him. And this is reverent fear. This isn't terror fear. Now I'm going to digress a minute and share an illustration. This is one that I've shared before in Rena. <laughs> Rena loved this. But one Sunday, there was a pastor who told his congregation the church needed a little extra money. And he asked people to prayerfully consider giving a little extra in the offering plate. And he said, whoever gave the most would be able to pick out three hymns. Whoever gave the most would be able to pick out three hymns. And after the offering plate was passed, the, the pastor glanced down and noticed that someone had, had given $1,000. $1,000. He was so excited that he immediately shared his joy with the congregation. He said he'd like to personally thank the person who placed the money in the plate. And there, there at the back sat little Rosie. And she slowly and shyly raised her hand. The pastor asked her to come to the front. Just as a side note, if I saw you gave $1,000, I'd carry you. I'm just saying, and I've got a hernia that needs to be fixed, so that's, that's big deal stuff. Um, but he was so excited that he, 
you know, he, he asked her to come forward. And slowly she made her way down the aisle to the pastor, the front. And, so, and, and he told her how wonderful it was that she gave so much. And Thanksgiving asked her to pick out three hymns. And she, her eyes bright and she got so excited. And she, she turned around and looked at the congregation just like this. And she pointed out the three most handsome men in the room. I'll take him, and I'll take him, and I'll take him. <laughs> and Rena loved that because I, I think that that, was, that would be her, her dream. But. And we laughed, but I bet Rosie was a little more than a little disappointed to learn that she had made a costly decision based on a misunderstanding. So, so this morning, I want to make sure that we have a better understanding of what Ecclesiastes 3 reveals. At the end of last year, we spent quite a bit of time in the First Testament as we intentionally studied the loving nature of God, his covenant promises, and how the miracle of Christmas, the, the gift of the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ, was a continuation of the story told in the earlier books of the Bible, a tangible expression of his immeasurable love for you, that he would give the world his son to give each one of us a pathway to salvation. The passage I read moments ago from Ecclesiastes is likely one that you've heard before. And, and do you know what it means? That, does your mind instantly go to that six, 1965 song from the birds? I mean, mine does it every single time. I was waiting for someone after Terry read. There's a time for every season. Turn, turn, turn. It's in your head now, isn't it? You're welcome. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but, I'd like to take some time to unpack this. It's a poetic wisdom that was written sometime between 2200 and 2400 years ago, we estimate. And these words that were recorded by a person who was asking questions, questions we still have today. You know, what's the purpose? What's the point of all the work we put into our lives on this earth? To understand this, we need to go back to the very beginning of what that person wrote. Um, if someone has their Bible still open, Ecclesiastes, go to the very first chapter of Ecclesiastes. Probably won't matter which, which translation you have. And there's usually, in most Bibles, there are translations, there's kind of a, a heading over Ecclesiastes 1. If anybody has that. Um, everything, is meaningless. everything is meaningless. Well, that's not exciting. What does verse 2 say then? Start in verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Well, that's not very inspiring at all. Vanity, vanity, right, yeah, utterly meaningless, pointless, right, depending on where you find it. So I'm going to read starting here, and, and we can kind of see, but I want you to hang in here because there's, there's positive in this. So Ecclesiastes 1, I'm reading from the NIV this morning. It says the words of the teacher. Now, the teacher is the gatherer. Ecclesiastes means a gathering or a gatherer. Um, and it says, as Becky shared, meaningless, meaningless says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Remember that question. It says, generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun set and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye can never enough. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been 
will be again and what has been done will be done again and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which we can say, look, this is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I would disagree with large portions, but this is what is written. And, and reading this makes me wonder about the spiritual health of the person writing these words. In fact, the inclusion of this book, Ecclesiastes, it, it's kind of puzzling to me because having to spend quite a bit of time studying the, the First Testament, I don't see the common themes. Like, um, we aren't immediately hearing about a loving God. We aren't, you know, or we're not getting God revealing wisdom and purpose or, or redeeming us from our troubles. Not, not here yet, anyway. We don't immediately hear words about God's chosen people or how he cares for him. Not yet. But maybe the author, and it's believed to be Kohileth, isn't having a spiritual conflict. Maybe they're just noticing what's going on in the world around them and wondering, what's the point of all my efforts? You know, this stuff just happens, right? It just continues to go regardless of what I do or don't do. And maybe we feel like that ourselves sometimes. The pandemic, social unrest, global conflicts, loss of loved ones. It's the stuff I do really matter. But I want, again, stay tuned because they consider this a book of wisdom and there's a reason they do. The author considers the pursuit of the answer to his original question with respect to the experience of time. This question was, again, from 1-3, what do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? You see, people have always had a desire to understand how they fit into the plan of life, to matter. This poetic piece beginning in chapter 3 offers a succession of 14 contrasts that demonstrate opposite but mutually exclusive activities that, that involve the whole person and encompass the full range of human aspirations and experiences in this life. It starts with a time of, of birth and a time of death. And it ends with a comparison or contrast of a time of war and a time of peace. Not all these are good versus bad, but they still reflect all aspects of, of life in this broken world. When we get to the end of the 14 contrast, the author restates that question again, as if trying to still work out the logic from Ecclesiastes 3.9. What do workers gain from their toil? But there's an interesting shift that happens immediately in verse 10. I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. And this sounds like a verse that can be taken out of context. The promise is, is that God has made everything beautiful in its time. Not your time, not my time, not when we want it, but at the appropriate time. And actually, it is more accurately described as the divinely ordained time. There's a Greek word kairos. It means the appointed, divinely appointed time. This is such an important word to me. I've got it printed on my wrist, have for 14 years, I think, right under my watch. So when I look at my watch, I, right here I've got the word kairos. It reminds me, whatever I've got going on in my life, this is the appointed time for that and to address it that way. But listen to the positive message of Ephesians 1.11. It says, In Christ Jesus, we were also given, chosen or, or made heirs, having been predestined according to the plan of God, who works out everything in conformity with the purposes of his will. There's your purpose. There's the decider of the time. This is a plan and timing that are beyond our own understanding. 
Ecclesiastes 3.11 explains that God has set eternity into the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. There is a beauty and a mystery in God's design. God gives people desire to have an eternal perspective, to see beyond what Ecclesiastes describes as futility of this life. As faithful Christians, we know that what we do matters and that there is purpose in the human experience. Yet God has not revealed all of life's mysteries to us. And there's a net positive we find at verse 12. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. Think about the type of work that you enjoy. If you're lucky, you may have had a professional career that, that you really enjoyed. And that was a gift from God that you enjoyed what you did. Your toil. But more than likely, it's something that you chose to work at, perhaps a hobby or something you do in retirement, working in the garden. That's a lot of work, right? Taking care of the lawn. That's a lot of work. But people, some people really enjoy that. Sherry and I spent some time yesterday, a lot of time yesterday, chipping away at a project around our house. It was work. It was unpaid manual labor, and we certainly discovered that we have different ways of attacking projects, don't we? Right? right way and my way <laughs> they aren't always the same but we have different ways of doing this but but at the end of the day there was a sense of satisfaction from having a productive day right this is a gift of god not that we're tired not that we're sore not that we got a little cranky at times but we felt productive that we toiled and there's a benefit even more so even more than cleaning the garage even more so, working for the good of others and finding joy in what you are doing is a gift from God. We thank God for our abilities, the opportunities, and the blessings for others that we get to be a part of. Finding satisfaction in the labor despite the relatively minor impact it may make in the world may be a challenge. And perhaps this is what the author of Ecclesiastes was wrestling with. But consider the impact that it is making in the life of one other person. These are the one and others that we talked about last week. I think this partially reveals the author's conclusion that time is a burden because it imposes limitations that possibly invalidates the long-term effectiveness of our efforts. What good does it matter if I make a big impact if, if no one knows or remembers in 100, 200, 300 years? But look at the scriptures. Look at the impacts that are made, that are recorded, that we, that we drive our motivation and, and, and such from. We can't be so short-sighted and we can't be so discouraged to think that just because it's not a, a, a lifelong, eternity-changing thing, that it's not important. <clears throat> Wouldn't it be wonderful if there was another part of the wisdom of Ecclesiastes 3? Perhaps the way to get from the undesirable <clears throat> to the desirable. There isn't even a clear instruction to pursue one and avoid the other. It just says there's a time for this and a time for that. But that would be true wisdom if it said, do this to get from weeping to laughing. Do this to get from mourning to dancing. Do this to get from tearing to mending. Do this and move from war to peace. Couldn't the world use some of that right now, amen? But there is a promise 
that we will experience both and likely in some sort of regular rotation or cycle, a time for, for growth, a time for decay, a time for weeping, a time for laughter. Both sorrow and joy are a part of life. Without one, the other is unrecognizable. The human experience of life is, is composed of both joy and sorrow. That's by design. Building and destroying. Living and dying. Each comes at the proper time. Our, our constraint in time is just another indication of our mortality. And maybe that's what really what we struggle with. We are beings of a moment in time. And James 4.14 describes our life as a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. As such, we are not able to partake in the joys of eternity yet. But that time is coming. So what about these contrasts? A time to plant, a time to uproot. You know, Isaiah 28, 24 says, when a farmer plows for planting, does he plow continually? Does he keep on breaking up and working the soil? No. At some point, that part of the work is done and you can harvest the fruit of your labor. And you can certainly can't harvest what hasn't been planted. There is a time for everything. A time to break down, a time to build. You know, while the pairs of these, of these opposites are, are, you know, they're typically opposites, breaking down and building up are, are, could be different parts of the same process. I mean, think about when you're working on a project like remodeling a house. I mean, don't you have to take some of it down before you can build it back up? I found this in my seminary journey. Some of the classes have systematically dismantled some of the things that I thought I knew. But without that unsettling step in the process, I would not have grown in knowledge and understanding of, of some of the things that I, I get better now, that I understand better because I went through this dismantling. And, and we want to avoid the discomfort of the breakdowns. We do. And that, I don't think anybody would fault us for that. But there is a time for everything. And sometimes an undeniable victory comes from the worst of these broken moments, right? These undeniable breakthroughs come from the breakdowns. A time to be silent and a time to speak. Mothers know this one, right? But minding our tongue and being responsible for it is a common warning throughout the Bible. In fact, twice Proverbs, more than twice Proverbs tell us that a fool's speech brings trouble. And while those who keep the tongues avoid trouble, that's, that's just good wisdom. And there are many stories of people like Esther who is called not to remain silent, to speak up. And there are many times in your life when you cannot, you should not remain silent about injustices you see, needs that need to be met, either your own or somebody else's, speak up. The good news of the gospel, the joy of your salvation, don't keep these to yourself. Know when to be silent but no one to speak. There is a time for everything. A time to hate. Struggled with this one. Why? Why Why? why would that even be here? Doesn't sound Christian at all. Hate does not always suggest hostility or malice. It can be an expression of an appropriate attitude. In fact, Romans 12, 9 tells us that love must be sincere. It also tells us that to hate what is evil there is a time for hate. The passage of Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 14 ends with a reminder that no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. This Job is this, it is this great conversation of, 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 of him going back and forth 
you know, questioning what, you know, why he would do this. He's being faithful to God and why is all this stuff happening? And, and, and finally, after all this discourse, God just kind of lets him have it. And, and for chapters, God says, well, who did this? And, and do you know why I did this? And, and, and he goes on and on. And Job finally concedes. He says, yeah, yeah. Um, I can't fathom the mysteries of you. It's not my place to know it. I, I, I can't. Sorry, I questioned. We won't always have the answers. And, and I'm not sure that Keteleth, Koheleth, got the answers he was hoping for. I'll, I'll let you read Ecclesiastes for yourself and see what you think. But I've concluded that if we can accept life as it is, I'm not saying just conform to it because we know better, but I'm saying if we accept what God designed life to be, even the hardest parts will be bearable because we know that there's a purpose and protection for those who are God's own who know the Lord. Do you count yourself among those people? If you don't, let me hear from you. If you're not sure, let me hear from you. Because if, if, you, if you think you know where you're at and you're still having these questions like, God, I don't, I don't get it. I pray, I come to church, I do all the things I, I think are right. I, I, but this person over here, they don't live that life and, and they're getting the promotion, they're getting the raise, they're getting healthy while, while people I know are getting sicker. It doesn't seem right, it doesn't seem fair. It's tough. These are tough questions. I get it. And it starts by getting to know God. That's where you start to get some of these answers revealed to you. We all yearn to be a part of eternity, to have a legacy, to to live beyond ourselves. We feel a need for ourselves um, and, and our work to be vital and impactful, to have meaning. We desire to understand our place in the framework of eternity, even if we're just this vapor. We want to know that there's a purpose in the events of the world and that God has it under control. And if, if we were truly being honest, there are times when we allow ourselves to feel discouraged like the author of Ecclesiastes. Just simply asking, what's the point? Why bother? Why, why try? While there is an appropriate time for all things, it is God who establishes these times. Because we cannot fully discern God's appointed times, we should find contentment and joy in trusting God. And this is faith. And there is always a time for faith. The last verse of this poetic wisdom, wisdom reads this way. It says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Fearing God, that is revering God, trusting him, honoring God, respecting God, is the proper response to divine sovereignty in light of our human limitations. The Bible tells us that this world is not our home, that we have citizenship in heaven, and in the most beautiful moment of perfect timing, the most beautiful moment of perfect timing, we will be there in the presence of God himself, in his presence and with Jesus Christ our Savior who expectantly awaits our arrival. We know that there are friends and family who have gone before us that have redeemed this promise at an appropriate time, a time that may not have made sense to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, with all that's going on, big picture global stuff and just the stuff that just is in our mind and in our life every moment of the day, we know that Life is a, a 
an all-in experience. You promised trials and tribulation. You always promised you'd be with us. You promised that there would be temptations and, and things that would discourage us, but you also promised a way out. Lord, you knew our sinful nature from the start, from when you created us. And Lord, as we enter this Lenten season here this week, it's our time to recognize that in ourselves and come to you because this is a time of repentance because your response to that is a guarantee and it just waits on us. Lord, as always, I wanna thank you for this beautiful building. All have contributed to it over the years. Those who gather here this morning, those who gather and listen online, Lord, may we be changed for what we've heard this morning and be inspired by, by the questions asked by others, questions that we may still not have an answer to, but we know it's okay to ask. So Lord, we come to you with our questions and we open our hearts and open our minds and we listen for your response. Lord, in your son's name we pray, amen. As I alluded to earlier, there was a, a beautiful hymn that I was familiar with but hadn't sung in years, years. And as we're at this ordination service for, I'd call him a friend, um, Chance McMullen, he's a pastor at Westlake over there in Lori. They sang this song. It's really a, a, a call to a mission. And this song really spoke to me and because I picked the song, you get to hear it this morning. So I would love it if we'd sing it and make that our closing song of worship this morning. It's called Here I Am, Lord.